Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Today's gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 10. Hear these words from Jesus. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against father, daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. One's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Again, will you join me in a spirit of prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all hearts be worthy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Saturday's New York Times article was one of many to compare and contrast the two disasters on the open seas in the last few days. One vessel contained five people on an expensive excursion that was supposed to take them to the damaged seabed of the Titanic and return them to the surface and to the life they once knew. Just a few days before, 500 people had died on a perilous voyage, fleeing poverty and violence from Asia and the Middle East in the Mediterranean Sea. Of course, you probably followed the news of the submersible Titan the many efforts that were made to recover the vessel and hopefully to save the lives of the people, from the Navy and the Coast Guard to the press conferences to divers and uh, operations from other countries made available. At the same time, along the Greek coast where some hundreds have died, very few efforts were made to recover the people escaping poverty and violence, and very little attention was given to it in national news. One, of course, contained a few wealthy businessmen. The other, as many as 750 poverty-stricken migrants looking for a new life in Europe. Now, there are a few articles out there you can read about this, about this compared to contrast. Of course, both situations are tragic, but they're tragic for di- very different reasons. 
And having these two tragic episodes near one another provides a little bit of a cultural commentary on what's important, what's valuable, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. Today, I would invite you to hold those two scenes in your mind. One, the submersible Titan, and one, the overcrowded fishing boat, trying to find a new and safe life for its voyagers. And as we hold those two scenes in mind, we can see for ourselves that not all fears are created equal. Not all fears are created equal, and not all risks are equally courageous. We are right to look toward the words of Scripture, particularly the words of Jesus, for support and encouragement. Perhaps, like me, you've had a long week of work and you have many tasks on your to-do list. Perhaps you've had a long month or months or a long year. And we come to church on Sunday morning with anxiety and stress in our hearts and minds. And so we are comforted to hear Jesus tell his disciples and to tell us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Have no fear. I like this image of Jesus, this calm, encouraging, supportive Jesus. Like it's like a counselor or a mentor or even a friend. In fact, when I, when I think about this Jesus, I sort of think of a, a Dr. Phil type of Jesus. You know Dr. Phil, the, the weekly afternoon TV show, the counselor, as people would come on and work through their problems. Sometimes he would offer them a little stern redirection, but it was often encouragement, a hug. It'll be okay. Do not be afraid. Dr. Phil Jesus is one of my favorite Jesuses of all because he makes me feel better and more confident about my situation. But we would do well to remember today the context of Matthew chapter 10. Here in the middle of Matthew's gospel, the disciples have already been with Jesus for some time. They've seen Jesus heal people, perform miracles. Jesus has delivered that long sermon on the mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They've been a part of Jesus' ministry. They know what Jesus is doing in the world, the way in which Jesus is helping people to understand God. And so in Matthew 10, the disciples, the 12 disciples, are now being sent out on their own missionary journey. In the verses preceding today's readings, we are given an account of their names, and we are told their tasks to go out and to heal and to teach, to care for any who are in need, and to raise up those from the dead, and to receive no payment. It is a bold and exciting time that Jesus is commissioning his followers to take on the same exact ministry that Jesus himself had had. They'll go out and do the things that Jesus has done. But this invitation comes with a major warning. Have no fear. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. In other words, Jesus takes for granted that his disciples are likely to encounter some significant challenges in their ministry, the same sorts of, sorts of challenges that Jesus himself had encountered. Challenges from Roman authorities, from Jewish leaders. Jesus' word to his disciples today is not just a pat on the back after a long week. No, it's more serious than that. Everything will be uncovered. All secrets will be made known. Those who kill the body are of no concern to you. You should only worry about those who can kill the soul. Go out and shout it from the housetops. 
can only imagine the disciples looking at each other and saying, boy, we, uh, we liked hanging out with Jesus when things were a little easier going, when, when Jesus was feeding the crowds and, and teaching them. That was fun. Jesus, we don't mind volunteering at church. We can bring some snacks to Vacation Bible School, but we weren't really up for all of this, putting our lives at risk. Jesus' encouragement to the disciples is to be brave with their gospel task. Don't worry if you die. The evil powers of this world will be exposed. Shout it as loud as you can. This is less Dr. Phil and more Winston Churchill. This is going out into the battle. We will go and fight in the seas and the oceans. We will have confidence in the air. We will defend our island. We will never surrender. Go and be brave. Disciples are going to do spiritual battle with an evil world. Have no fear, even if you are put to death. Of course, this is the same culture that will one day crucify Jesus. The same culture that persecuted the early church. Thank goodness, when we read Matthew 10, we can recognize that we live in a very different day than those early disciples. I'm going to do that thing where I talk about whole 2,000 years worth of church history in two minutes, so just hang with me on that. On that, Christianity went from a minority movement in Rome, Jesus and his disciples crucified and put to death, the early church persecuted, to becoming the official religion of the West and moving into power in Europe in just a few hundred years. Constantine was baptized, the Roman Empire converted, Europe broadly became Christian. The church had power like, like surely those early disciples never could have imagined. Monarchs and kings and armies, crusades with crosses going into battle, colonial mission efforts around the globe. We are part of that heritage ourselves. The Methodist church was birthed out of the Church of England, the official state church of England. Now, when the church got to America, we thought there needed to be a little more distance between church and state, but we have still largely enjoyed a Christian culture. When people take oaths, they lay their hands on the Bible. When God we trust is printed in multiple places every day in official government forms, we've grown up in a, a friendly Christian culture, very different than those early Christians. Now, you all may remember in the last 100, 150 years, things began to change a little bit. There was a little tension between church and culture. Some people called it the modernist and fundamentalist divide. There was questions about science and the Enlightenment and all we know about the world. Can you, can you appreciate science and still be a person of faith? And then in more modern days, there was things about the, the secular world. Can you enjoy the secular world? Can you appreciate rock and roll music and movies and things of that nature and still be a person of faith? No movie better captures this tension than that silly film Footloose and Kevin Bacon and his intense need to, to dance and loose. I know you felt that in your bones at one time yourself. The small town pastor afraid for his church and his community. If these teenagers start dancing to rock and roll music, what will happen next? That seems kind of silly to us now, but there was a time. And then in the world that I grew up in, the church began to take great efforts in, in building bridges with culture. We knew we couldn't be at odds with rock and roll. We would never win that battle, so why don't we invite rock and roll into the church? 
Remember when I was in middle school and junior high school, we used to listen to this guy named Carmen. Does that mean anything to you? Carmen was a Christian performer. He had started in Vegas, and he had had a conversion. And so he did these huge theatrical productions, these Christian songs and choreographed dances and movies and stories, all sort of over the top, but all for the sake of Jesus. That's kind of the world I grew up in. Where the church was no longer at odds with culture, you could have your culture, you could have your music, and you could have your faith, too. That's probably the world we're in now, for the most part. Post-modernity, Christianity is just one option among many cultural options. I'm trying to translate for you to help think about how Matthew 10 resonates with our modern world, and I hope you sense that it's a very different world in which we read the Scripture today. Surely the church is still being squeezed, but it's no longer under attack from a violent regime. Instead, it's the subtle cultural pressure to be involved in anything and everything. Anything and everything. I'm speaking from experience here. My kids are getting a little bit older. I don't think we had one free evening in May. From t-ball to softball to end of the school activities and and celebrations, and June has been equally busy with activities at church and activities in the community. Our calendars are so full as we've embraced the world around us, and often for good reason. Our calendars are full, our, our credit cards are maxed out, we're trying to do it all to do as much as possible. The opportunities are endless. Clubs and groups and hobbies, invitations, travel, weekends away. Now, I have to be careful here. I start to sound like that angry pastor in Footloose, right? And that's surely not what I mean to do. Because he thought dancing was bad, and I think dancing is good. I like to dance, and I invite you to dance. Today, the warning goes a little bit differently. You can dance and cheer and play sports and be involved in activities and travel. You can do anything and everything. But if you do it all, will there still be room for a life of faith? Will there still be room for time at church? My sense is we have to do a pretty significant translation from Matthew 10 to our modern day. And I think it's fair to say we're still in a cultural battle, but it's no longer against an evil empire attacking us. But rather, it's just a full and overwhelming calendar. So many options. Jesus' final words today are some of the most challenging and uncomfortable in all of Scripture. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I find it hard just to read those to you. I find it hard to read those reflecting on my own life. As we comfortably worship week after week in this beautiful historic sanctuary in our new worship center, we of course admit that that Christianity is largely actually accepted and even forgotten in our modern world. And yet, Jesus demands our entire life. Take up your cross and follow me. Be willing to risk it all for me. Be not afraid. That teaching resonated in a very real way for those earliest disciples who were literally sacrificing their lives to build the church. We, of course, have to admit we live in a much different time. It's unlikely that we will be called to sacrifice our lives in the same way. 
And yet it is for that reason that we have to be even more careful, even more critical when thinking about our faith and our calling. I suspect Jesus' words for us today might be translated something like this. In a world where everything is Christian and not Christian all at once, what is it that makes me Christian? How have I taken up my cross and followed Jesus? What sacrifices have I really made in my life in the last week or month or year? Have I grown so comfortable with this busy calendar and this part-time faith that I've forgotten Jesus' call? Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. That verse resonates with me because we often use it in the final prayers at the burial at the graveside following a funeral. Often with my hand over the coffin, those who find their life lose it and those who lose their life for my sake find it. All the hairs on your head are counted. His eye is on every sparrow. He knows when they die. Do not, do not fear those who threaten your body, but rather those who threaten your soul. Christianity is not a guarantee to health and wealth and happiness. It is an invitation to sacrifice and service, to commitment and to intentionality. Now, of course, I know I'm preaching to the choir. It's the last Sunday in June, and you hundred people have come to church on a beautiful Sunday morning where you could have been anywhere else. And so these themes resonate with you. There are no accidental Christians. There are no accidental Christians. Do not fool yourself, Jesus says. Just because you think you've got a hold of your life, just because you think you've got a hold of your calendar and your budget, just because you think you're squeezing everything in and it's all going to work out just fine, it's those who think they found their life that end up losing it. Rather, Jesus says, come and follow me and, and lose your life in me. Lose your life in Jesus Lose your life for Christ, and there you will really find it. Do not be afraid. Have no fear. Take up your cross and follow me. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.